0: You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress, with your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 8 of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hertzberger. Today, we're going to be talking with Dan Gaskell. Dan is a tennis coach who also is the host of the Tennis Shorts Podcast, has coached tennis in, in private lessons. He's, he's coached tennis at the college level in his past as well. And he has actually a really interesting story about what got him into tennis in the first place. It all started with his mother picking up a, a $1 racket at a yard sale uh, when Dan was 11 years old. And here we are, 46 years later, and he's still uh, playing and coaching and teaching the sport that his mom basically invested an initial $1 in to get him started in, uh, which he very quickly realized that he just absolutely loved the sport. It was a really neat story. Um, We get into a little bit of the weeds with regards to sort of the technical side of the game of tennis that I – came into this conversation really not knowing anything about. And uh, Dan did a really great job of um, sort of helping me through talking to the bumbling idiot that I was in this particular case. Um, So no, he did a great job. So I definitely recommend you checking out his show and his site. I've linked it all in the show notes. That being said, let's go ahead and get to the interview. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast: Small Steps for Big Progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, I was telling people a little bit in the intro about uh, your podcast, and also about sort of a little bit of your history with the tennis with tennis as a sport. But if you could just kind of go into a little bit, just to share with the audience a little bit about. Sort of your background. Why, why did you start? Why did you start this podcast, and why did you? What kind of took you into tennis in the first place? Let's kind of go way back a little bit. Um, tell people a little bit about the story of what got you into the sport.
0: Okay. Well, um, actually, I was uh, about 11 years old when I first kind of started in tennis. Uh, I really didn't ask my mom to play tennis or, you know, say, Hey, I want lessons or anything. She just basically had went to a garage sale, got a dollar racket and said, here, here's a tennis racket. Go outside. <laughs> here,
1: here, go do something
0: with this. You're right. You're right. And, you know, don't hit anybody. Don't um, break stuff or anything like that. But I did have a friend who lived down the street and uh, he had a tennis racket and we had some courts that were pretty close and um, we said, "Hey, let's go up there and play." And so we basically just went up there and just kind of hit it around a little bit. And after a very short period of time, we both just fell in love with the game. So that was kind of my beginnings, and it was, uh, you know, just a, a fall in love, almost love at first sight. So that that's basically how I started out. And I we played, uh, we would play during especially during the summer times we'd play 2 3 times a day and it just grew and grew i i got into playing some junior tournaments i played in in high school in college i played and then after college i went on in and and i played some some adult tournaments and uh, was pretty successful there and and uh, just played all my life and about 5 years ago well I'll back up a little bit About 10 years ago, I was kind of getting a little bit uh, more into racket stringing, and I kind of mentioned a few things to some friends of mine, and they started bringing rackets to me and that sort of thing, and I just kind of uh, just started stringing some rackets for some people, and then all of a sudden, I have a full-blown business, and so I had a lot of customers who were sending me rackets from all over the United States. I had a guy from Afghanistan that was sending me rackets who was a, sol- a soldier in the in the Army. And so it just kind of grew and grew. And so it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, I uh, actually was all this time I was working in corporate world in insurance, and I was really looking for a way to get out of there. And so I was just not very happy with, with my position there and, and just had been in it for 30 years.
1: What were you doing in the insurance world? Were you on the front line sort of sales side? Were you on the underwriting side? What did you do in insurance?
0: I was on the underwriting side of it. I actually was kind of a combination of underwriting and sales because I was a field underwriter. So I would go out and assist uh, agents where they they have a commercial business, and I'd go out and, and assist them to write the business. So it was kind of an, uh, an underwriting slash sales position.
1: Okay, in in any particular line of insurance or did you sort of run the gamut?
0: It was commercial for about twenty some years of that. And then I got into doing some inspection work in the personal lines. So I I farm personal lines and commercial. So I've kind of kinda been through the whole gamut on the property and casualty line is is basically what it was. So got it. Okay. Yep. All right, so so I um so about five years ago, I I just decided that I had enough of it, and um, I I stopped working at that particular place. And I got within a month or so. I had uh, one of the players at, at a college had that I played with regularly said, "Hey, you know, our coach is uh, is, is stopping at the end of this semester." And I think you'd be a great coach. I want you to come and, and uh, talk to the AD, and see if maybe you could be the coach. And I thought, well, geez, this is kind of always something I've wanted to do as coach. Sure. And so I went in and talked to him, and and um, you know, and, and everything worked out great. He hired me, and uh, I was the coach for three seasons at a at a small college uh, named uh, Friends University in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, just had a great time doing it.
1: Now, for, uh, friends, University are they associated with the Quakers? Yes, am I, am I remember? Okay,
0: yes, exactly. Yeah,
1: in in my hometown, we've we've got a we've got a friend school here that that same thing, you know, same thing associated with the Quakers.
0: Yeah, yep, yeah. It's a it's a small private school. Uh, it started off with the Quakers, and uh, I guess it's the Friends of the Quakers is kind of the official thing. And um, it has about a thousand uh, kids that go there, and and uh, so is a it was a great size school. I thought, and uh, I personally, I went to a large university, Kansas State University, and mm. uh, you know, you kind of get lost in those big schools. But I was going to
1: say it's a little bit bigger.
0: Yeah, 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 quite a bit, quite a bit. You know, it's twenty-five or thirty thousand kids, I think, that go there. Wow. So it's uh, quite a bit different. But I, I loved uh, the smaller school
1: got it got it now um something that something that you said um just kind of piqued my interest you mentioned about you know that you had always wanted to get into coaching um you, you you didn't mention that as you were kind of working your way through your sort of tennis history like what when did that hit you like what 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 was it that made you want to get into coaching and sort of when did that when did that take place
0: well it was always kind of in the back of my mind I always you know whenever I'd go to to tournaments or I'd I'd go and watch some high school or or even some college matches. I always thought, you know, I could do that. I could uh, go out and I could uh, I could coach and I would I would really like doing that. And also also I I did give lessons too. And so that's kind of coaching on a on a little bit different kind of scale cuz you have either one or two or three, you know, when you're when you're uh, giving lessons, but coaching I had I had both the men's and women's Teams And so I had about 20 players that I that I was responsible for. So it's a wow. it's a lot different different story when you have when you have a coaching job versus versus just lessons. How many kids are on a
1: typical college tennis team? Like it's so interesting when you look at the college level and all the different sports. Like some, like some teams have hundreds and hundreds of players. Some of them have six. You know, what 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 is the what's the kind of the go to number for a tennis team at the college level?
0: Well, basically, because of the way that the matches work, you play six singles and three doubles. So at minimum, you really need to have at least six players on your team you know okay. as as it works out now some schools would have 6 some would have 10 some had 15 or 20 it just all depend upon the budget of the school you know the for scholarship sport yeah for that particular sport uh, for tennis that's kind of the way it was now i i like to have at least 8 because you never know you always you could always have somebody that was injured or, um, you know, sick or something, something that, that would keep them from a match. And so you'd like to have at least a few backups. Sure. But I, I usually kept them somewhere in the 10 to 11 range after, after you get above that, it gets kind of hard to, you know, keep track of everybody, keep everybody happy. And you know, cause everybody wants to play. And, you know, if you've no got worries. 15 people, you know, you know, that, uh, uh, the majority of your team are probably not going to play very much. Yeah. And so, to keep them motivated, it's better to have fewer. Actually, got it. Yeah.
1: Okay. So my so the question that I've got for you um, ha, of the people that you've taught the private lessons for versus say the kids that you were teaching the kids that you were coaching when you were in school, like what? How would you say? How would you say as a coach? Like how would you say that relationship is different? later on like do you, do you maintain a relationship with these players or with these people that you were teaching lessons with early on or do, is like is that something that just kind of is a little bit more of a transient relationship which is i guess maybe more typical for coaching like how how would you how would you judge that
0: well for the the lessons that i gave i i really haven't kept up with um those people too much uh for one thing I've moved a couple of different times, and and so you know I'm not in the same vicinity as them. But it, but as for my coaching, I still keep up very closely with all my players, and and you know, I just I loved coaching, and I loved all these guys that that I coached, and and uh, you know, I coached both the men's and women's too, and so I, I like to keep up with them. I I went back for, um, graduations for these guys, and and um, you know just. I keep up with them on Facebook and all that sort of thing, and uh, so uh, it, it is different, but it may just be because of where I live, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, the people that I taught were pretty young, and so it wasn't uh, something that, you know, just uh, was a relationship could that could develop outside of the tennis courts, but with the the older players, it could. Got it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's uh there's been schools out there where there have been said relationships developed among, you know, the coaches and the players and yeah. that's something that tends to be frowned upon as a general rule. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you got to you got
0: to be very careful. And so that sure. yeah, that's very true.
1: Sure. What uh what what league did that did the uh, the friends team play in? Like what 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 level of I guess I'm assuming NCAA? Like what 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 level of a team would, did they tend to fall in?
0: Well, they were actually in the NAIA. And so you have different levels. You've got um, Division One, you know, that's going to be your large universities. Uh, you have Division Two, which are uh, basically a step down from that. Division Three are private schools for the most part, and they don't give scholarships as far as athletics go. They, they give academic scholarships. But uh, so those, those are the NCAA schools. And then you have NAIA, and you've also got junior college. And so that we were in the NAIA division. Got it. Got it.
1: Okay. So I guess for, for people, for say, for say somebody like me that came out, like they were coming, they've come out of high school, they were playing sports in high school, um, social sports here and there ever since, or some martial arts here and there. Like in my case, you know, in my case, Brazilian jitsu that I've kind of taken up some of of late somewhat Um, like for, for people like me that are, that are interested a little bit in the, the sport of tennis, if for, if for nothing else, let me back up. One of the interesting things that I've found about the sport of tennis, though, I've never really had much interest in it myself over, you know, over my lifetime, all 37 years of it. um, The, the, my interest on in it hasn't necessarily been there until relatively recently, uh, because I find it different from a lot of other sports in that it's one of those sports that I see people playing well well into the later stages of life like i find that particular i find that aspect of it interesting very analogous to golf uh which is a sport that i detest more than any other in the world uh we can get into that if you want but um the the there that's a sport that obviously people are able to and very much do play until you can joke about it but until the day they die they can right. go out and they can be playing golf mm-hmm. um tennis Maybe, maybe not to that far into the advanced stages of life but pretty darn close like I see you know I've seen people that are in their 60s 70s in some cases 80s still playing tennis they're obviously they're slowing down a bit you know they're not di- they're not diving for balls at the at the line anymore but when it comes to you know ha- the the accuracy of their shots and keeping the game tighter um, and, but still staying out there and playing, assuming they don't have major hip or hip or knee problems. um, They keep on playing for quite a long time. And that's interesting to me because also, because it's also a great sport that you can do if you have just one other person, which is another neat thing. In my case, like my wife, she was apparently a really great tennis player when she was in high school. Um, you know, I'd like to be able to play with her at some point. Um, you know, because also her and I are looking to travel um, fairly extensively. Once we do that, you know, if you if you're in if you're into certain sports and you're traveling extensively around the country or around the world it's a little hard to play football. It's a little hard to play baseball when you're by yourself or with like one or two other people. Whereas tennis, you need, it's like, whereas tennis, you need a flat, you need a flat surface and two rackets. And if you're lucky, use a net. Um, And which is something that can be found or bought cheap and just set up and broken down. Um, Anything. So that, that aspect of the game intrigues me. So like for somebody like me, tell me how, Someone like me could learn the sport to the level where it could actually be fun and not, you know, a massive grind. I mean, like, I for more like the social player, someone that's looking at it from a fitness perspective and a fun perspective more so than a competitive sports.
0: Well, I think it's kind of a lot of just attitude. If, if, uh, if your level, if your goal is to, Go out, have fun, and just get some energy burned off. Uh, enjoy company with your wife or friends or whatever, and you're not that worried that uh, oh my gosh, I can't hit a topspin forehand in the corner every time, or you know wh- whatever the case is.
1: I have no idea what you just <laughs> said.
0: Anyway, some people might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, if if you have to, you have to keep your level of expectations proper. So when you first learn how to play tennis, you can't say, "Okay, I'm going to be Roger Federer within a couple of weeks." And then if you're not, you get all upset about it. You quit. Yeah. So
1: you get you get pissed, throw your racket, and quit. Right. It's like, and the only the only similarity you ever had with him is the fact that you threw your racket when you when you messed up.
0: Yeah. and, and he doesn't <laughs> even do that. So, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but you know, that's that's basically what you have to decide to start off with. So kind of that first small step that you have to take is, okay, why am I actually going out here? Is it because I want to be, you know, number one player in the world? Or is it because I want to have some mm-hmm. some fun and exercise and that sort of thing? So uh, I think you have to kind of kind of temper it a little bit. Now, it also depends a little bit upon what level of fitness you're in right now and, uh, you know, what, what you can actually do physically. Sure. But as far as what I would suggest that the average player who's somebody who hasn't ever played or you know, just wants to kind of get a, a taste of it is to actually, if you have the resources, is to go to some sort of a, a group lesson uh, by run by a pro. And they can really kind of get you started right because there's a lot of things in tennis that if you don't start correctly – you can develop very bad habits, you know, mm-hmm. mostly the proper grips. Those are, those are kind, of the, kind of the real starting point for me is to make sure because if you could have the most beautiful swing in the world, but if you're gripping it wrong, you're going to be, you know, hitting balls over the fence or in the net every time. Hmm. So there's just certain things that you need to have fundamentals, those first few um, things that you need to have kind of ironed out before you really can advance very far. So there's there's you can advance to a certain level with bad grips and bad technique and that, you know, but you you can't go beyond a a, a certain level.
1: Got it. So I, I guess my so then I guess my question is, so I guess for, for people that want to get in that, that want to get into it at the to the level where you were just suggesting, which is to get into taking lessons like what how's a good way I should say to find a tennis pro in your area like is there a is there a sort of a go-to database is there a is there an organization where there? like because the, clearly not everyone is meant to be coaches and that that's one of the that's one thing that that constantly pops up you know with me in other areas of business and other in other sports whatever it might be you know either you're you're you either have an inherent ability to coach people or you don't. Yes, it can be somewhat learned, but it takes quite a while. Um, So for somebody, for somebody that's looking to find a tennis pro in the area, just because they're a pro doesn't mean they're a good coach. How, how could one sort of go through the process of finding initially and then sort of screening coaches that might be good for them? I mean, granted, like with me, if I'm starting at zero, any of them are better than me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right coach for me. Like, how how can somebody go about sort of screening and finding a good coach for them?
0: Well, first of all, if you know any players that are you know pretty pretty good, solid players, ask them first and say, "Hey, do you do you have any kind of uh, uh, people that you'd know that would be a good uh, beginning lessons for me?" There's all kinds of places that you can go. You can go to public courts uh, that have that have pros that that actually run those courts. You can um, go to the USTA uh, has the United States Tennis Association is is a place that can can point you in a a place uh, that would help you out. There's also an exo- association called the USPTA, United States Professional Tennis Association, and they are just a collection of certified tennis coaches. So you could go to that particular website and I think there's a find a find a coach or find a um, a pro and they'll give you people that are certified. And so to be certified you have to go through testing both written and also on court testing. And so those are some really good beginning sources that I would I would go out and, and try to talk to those those kind of people. Oh, that's great. Okay.
1: All right. That's neat. Um. And when when you mentioned yeah. about gr- like y- you do suggest, especially for beginners, you do suggest uh, specifically group coaching initially, and then obviously if they want to expand more to private coaching afterwards, they can. But you definitely initially recommend group coaching.
0: Well, it kind of a little bit depends upon your your level of first of all your resources because sure. to go to a private teacher and if they're Decent at all. They're probably going to cost you forty to fifty to sixty dollars an hour. It all depends on what you know, what level they're at. But if you go to a a group coaching thing, uh, you can mm-hmm. you can still get good instruction, but it may only cost you fifteen dollars an hour. You know that that uh, is is quite a bit different. So if you're just not sure and you're just kind of thinking maybe this is something I want to do, but I'm not sure, a group setting is is fantastic.
1: Okay, so I mean, I get so. Then I guess for for somebody that is for anybody that's li- listening in the audience, you I mean, you would recommend whether it be the USTA or USPTA to find a pro sort of in the area. Area are is that that's obviously U.S. based. Mm-hmm. Um, for for anybody that's listening to this that might be located in other countries, are there similar organizations that either have Like does the U.S. or better question does the USTA have sort of a sister organization in Canada, UK, you know Australia, whatever it is? Like, is there is there any sort of an international presence for something like this? Um, is, just based on your experiences, is that something that you, kn- that you know of?
0: Yeah, they have things all over the world and probably maybe the easiest way to do this is kind of make it general. Just say, you know, if you live in Australia, just go to Google and say, find a tennis pro near me and you'll, you'll get all kinds of names. Uh, there's also clubs, there's tennis clubs that are in the area. Just give them a call and say, here, I'm a beginner. Can you give me some guidance as to what I need to do? And they will be more than happy to to get you scheduled in some lessons or just talk to you about what your goals are, because because that's kind of what you really want to think about is what are your goals as a tennis player? Are they are they to be, you know, number one in the world or is it just to uh, go out and and have fun with your wife and friends? So those are those are questions that hopefully a good professional will ask you so that when you come on court, that they can kind of guide you in that direction
1: yeah get uh dig into that a little bit on on sort of the goal side because obviously you know with, with if if people are listening to the show the 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 concept that I'm going for with this show is trying to to make small incremental steps where you can have, that eventually end up having a lar- a larger positive impact for someone that's interested in getting into tennis, like what's the commitment level that people that are listening should keep in mind? With, rega- with regards to wanting to get involved with tennis, assuming for a second that it's more fitness and social level, like not not if you're necessarily looking to become a competitive tennis player. But if you want to, like, if I want to walk onto a tennis court and not embarrass myself against my wife, if that's like, and not to, which will likely happen anyway, <laughs> because, you know, she's good at this and I'm not. But in, in, order, in order for me to actually be able to, keep my, you know, keep my tennis shoes on, um, what, what like what, how much, what's, what kind of a time commitment, I mean, I'm sure it varies vastly, I'm sure from person to person, but generally speaking, assuming someone has some level of athleticism in them, like what, to get a handle on the sport of tennis to the point where you will likely not embarrass yourself against another non-pro, like what? what type of a time commitment are are you generally seeing with people that you've coached in the past like is that a is that a what type of commitment do they need is that a make sure you're you're practicing 2 to 3 hours a week for 6 months and then you should be then you should have a decent handle on it or if it's you know you only need to go out on the courts maybe an hour a week but make sure that you're practicing your grip and your swing while you're standing there watching television every day just to make sure it becomes muscle memory. Like what, what is it? What is it? So what's the sort of commitment or what's sort of that blueprint that you kind of instill in people that are starting out from scratch?
0: Well, it, it still all goes back to the goals thing. And so if their goal is to really advance, obviously, the more and more time that you spend, uh, the better you know, obviously. Of course, sure. um, but, you know, as a as kind of an established player, I feel like you have to play at least twice a week to kind of maintain your level. And that's two to three times a week just to kind of maintain where you're at. If you want to okay. want to improve, if you're an established player, you really need to play more than that. And so okay. as a, just a complete beginner, I would mm-hmm. say that you would really need to get out three times a week, if possible, at the very least, and um, work over go over the things. Ask your pro. uh, Say, look, in between lessons, you probably have lessons once a week or something similar to that, and say, okay, Mr. Pro or Mrs. Pro, what is it that I need to work on during the week to help me to be better than I was at the lesson that I'm just coming out of? so that I can kind of have a little bit of a, a head start next week. And if he tells you or she tells you that you need to to work on this, this, and this for three days a week, then that's what mm-hmm. I would do. And Got it. So it's kind of a tailor it, – it all depends upon your level of athleticism. It mm-hmm. uh, all depends upon your commitment level, your enthusiasm and again, those goals, what it is that you're trying to achieve with uh, playing tennis or anything else in life, actually.
1: Got it. Um, that That's actually an interesting segue back to um, something that you mentioned before when you started getting into um, sort of out of, per se, coaching and then into uh, restringing and sort of where, how it applies to sort of the directions that you take your life, um, you've you And your wife um, left the U.S. at one point in the past, didn't you? Yes, we did. Yeah, tell tell me a little bit about that. I mean that that's I mean this is this might be completely completely selfish on my part because that's my that's the plan that I both me and my wife have for ourselves. Uh, But so what what sort of led to that? Where did you go, and um, how did your experience with tennis either help along the way, or how did it? at the very least, aid the process at all? Like, did it or did it at all? Like, t- tell me a little bit about that story, if you
0: don't mind. Sure. Yeah. About two years ago, uh, actually, it it started way before that, uh, maybe four to five years ago, we had started talking about things that we, we kind of wanted to accomplish in life and do. And uh, that was one of the things we wanted to live abroad. And so we we kind of looked around and decided that, you know, Costa Rica is where we moved, that would be a, a fantastic place for us to go. And we did tons of research on it, and uh, it, was, it was one of those things where we could kind of decided that we were at a point in time in life that we could do it, and we did not want to get to be 80, 85 years old and go, why didn't we do that? You know, so we just did not want to have a regret when we had the opportunity, and so we just kicked it around, and and uh, you know, like I said, did a lot of research on it, and then finally pulled the trigger on it. And two years ago, in August, we basically sold everything and packed up and moved down to Costa Rica. And uh, no, there, where in Costa
1: Rica where you're living? Uh,
0: we lived in a town called Gracia, and it's okay. right in the middle of of Costa Rica, and. But the middle of Costa Rica, it's not very far from one side to the other, or one end of the yeah, sure. You know, so it, we were still only about an hour and a half away from the from the um, coast either direction.
1: Yeah, because Costa Rica is only a couple hundred miles across, isn't it? I mean, it's not that far.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how many, but it's it's roughly the size uh, square miles of West Virginia. So it's Got it's you. not exactly the same you know configuration, but it's about the same square meters or square miles. Got. Um, so yeah, we, we, uh, well, no, you were, you were, you were living abroad, so you're allowed to say square meters. Yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of got, I got used to hearing that. And so it was one of those things, but, uh, yeah, so we, we, uh, just decided that that was something we wanted to do and, and we did it to uh, much to the chagrin of some of our family members, but, uh, I I understand, <laughs> but you know they all accepted it and and uh, maybe they didn't like it, but they didn't try to stop us or anything. And uh, we actually had a couple of family members come down and visit us, and and they, after they did come down and visit us, they understood why we moved there because it's
1: yeah, it's like hey, <laughs> hey oh by the, way, like we're we're living in a tropical we're living in a tropical paradise for less than fifteen hundred dollars a month, You're like all all living expenses included. This is why we're here, right?
0: You know? Right, exactly. It's I mean. it perfect weather every day. I don't think there was maybe one or two days that I didn't get up and look outside and it was sunny and beautiful. So the, the temperatures are right around 80, 82 degrees every day. Oof. Even during the the rainy season, you'd get up and it'd still be pretty much, most of the time, it was, it was uh, still clear and sunny. And you'd get a rainy bout that would go you know, in the afternoon and and then it'd clear back up in the evening for the most part. There were some times when you'd have few days of continuous rain, but you know, it is mm-hmm. the you know, it is the jungle, so what you have to expect. Sure, it. you're in a jungle. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was it was a fantastic experience. We loved it and and it was just uh, one of those things that we thought we wanted to do and didn't want to have regrets on.
1: Got it. And you, you stay, you've since moved back to the U.S. Like what? How long were you there?
0: We lived in Costa Rica for just right out a year, just just slightly over a year, and uh, so we've been back here in Texas for one year now.
1: Okay. What part of Texas?
0: We're in Tyler, Texas, which is uh, Tyler. Texas. Everybody knows where Houston is, and we're about three and a half hours north of Houston. Got it.
1: Yeah. The, um, and, and another gent that I just interviewed, uh, yesterday for the podcast that I'll be really releasing soon. He was, he's a, uh, he's a Houston resident himself. So we got, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the wonderful visit of, uh, Mr. Harvey mm-hmm. and, uh, how that, how that's affect how that's affected the local area. Has, has that hit, did that hit you much when that, when that came, when that, um, when that hurricane hit Groundfall and and it hit the Houston area, did that affect you, or were you fu- were you further inland, or were you sort of more out of the out of the way of the hurricane, or did that hit you guys full on?
0: Yeah, no, it didn't affect us any. We did see some clouds, and and you know that's where, you know just a few clouds, maybe a sprinkle here and there, but it really didn't affect us in any any way. So it was it was okay. a it's non-factor. A di- it died off. Yep.
1: Good, good. Yeah it's a, it's amazing the imp- the economic impact that, the, that that thing has had oh, yeah. in the Houston area. I mean it's it's from what I from what I understand from you know from chatting with this other guy that lives there he's like the impact isn't as bad as It's being made out like to the well, to the point where it was terrible, but the area has gotten so much support from around the country that it's almost back to normal Mm -hmm. um, already, which was very quick, which is a which is wonderful, you know, which is obviously wonderful news. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So no. Um, So you went. So you were in Costa Rica for a year. Were you doing any tennis related activities? While you were in, while you were in Costa Rica, to sort of stem the tide, oh yeah. Because are you? I'm sorry. Are you two? Are you guys per se? Are you guys retired? Like, is that sort of? Is that a? Is that the most direct, easiest way to answer that? Like, are you? Are you doing tennis related activities now? Being retired, or are you completely out of the workforce? Is your wife out of the workforce? Or sort of, what's your current state as it relates to? You know your ability to travel, and then your activities in the world of tennis.
0: Yeah, we're basically retired. It, it, I like to say that I'm semi-retired because I still look for opportunities. Uh, you know, there's some things that I do. I also do some trading, and and uh, uh, you know, I have some other stuff that I do. But uh, for the most part, yep, I, we we are both pretty much retired at this point.
1: Got it. so trading in the way of like stock trading. Yes. I've got. I should get you in touch with uh, Russ Comer. He, I interviewed him on episode six of the podcast. He, he's like he he's a um, he's a government contractor by trade uh, for the DoD, uh, but on the, on the side he started trading stocks and he runs this website called tradingtap.com, where he kind of has a a blog and a podcast and just sort of a basic course to help people learn how to uh, to get more into trading. It was actually a really interesting conversation for someone that knew that knew nothing about the the differences between per se, investing and trading and what those differences were mm-hmm. outside of the the basic technicals of it. Um, that was a really interesting conversation, yeah. yeah, yeah, but no. so so, okay, so you're semi-retired, still doing some stuff with tennis. Now, are you still coaching people at all at this stage, or have you shifted more exclusively to your podcast and related activities to that?
0: It's, uh, I don't do any kind of coaching at this point. Uh, I you know I decided that uh, after we moved back to Costa Rica or moved back from Costa Rica was uh, that I, I thought I might want to do a little bit of high school coaching uh, c- because high school and, and college are com- two completely different animals because the main emphasis uh, in college is recruiting. If you're a good recruiter, you can be a good coach. Because good players make you look really good, <laughs> and uh, but in high school, you know, you don't have that issue. It's just who comes to to play is who comes to play.
1: You have to make do. Look, right. you have to make do. So you ha- you have to get the most out of what you have.
0: Right, and sure. and you know, and there's also a lot more coaching challenge, I think, in high school because you're you're taking kids who may not have any experience at all or very little experience. You know, you're always going to have a few guys who take lessons and and are good players, but then you have all the rest. And so I kind of enjoy that part where you maybe have somebody who's not that good, but if you can make those, those uh, small steps every day. And I, I always told my guys, just be better today than you were yesterday. And at the end of whatever period of time, you're going to be a lot better. So just be a little bit better every day. So that's what I really liked about, you know, high school coaching is that you can kind of see some pretty dramatic changes. You can in in college also, but, you know, I recruited some people from all over the world. Uh, You know, I had guys from Germany, from Spain, from um, Serbia, you know, all over the place. And so, you know, they came in with a pretty high level. Mm -hmm. And so you can't... you can't take them a whole lot higher you know you can't double their their abilities it's it's pretty hard to do but when you have somebody who's you know in the beginning stages those doubling processes can take place over short periods of time
1: sure sure like t- taking a player that's never picked up a racket to the to making the varsity team in high school to placing in the regional tournament in high school, like those jumps can happen much quick. I guess they can probably happen much quicker. I mean, assuming, assuming the kids committed to the sport, then those those epic jumps can happen with a lot more frequency at the frequency at the high school level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and That's
1: what it sounds like. Yeah. Now
0: I did have one guy that, uh, uh, that I'm particularly proud of when I when I was giving private lessons. He basically was had no experience in, and was starting out as a beginner. And we started when he was uh, 12, I think. I think he was 12 or 13, something like that. And by the time he got out of high school, he was able to get a scholarship at a junior college. And so that, you know, that kind of thing really makes me feel good that I was able to help him get to that level. And, you know, I mean, it was his commitment and his work ethic and all that sort of thing, but, but uh that's the kind of thing I like to see.
1: I would imagine. Sure. Yeah. But especially, especially when you start with them that much younger and I, and I'm sure that there's, there's there's a benefit that I'm sure you can start seeing in coaching, and I'm curious to see if this is something that you've had much experience with. But one of the one of the neatest things, or I guess one of the coolest stories you always hear or you like to hear with coaching, especially when you're coaching younger kids, is like it's I mean it's the it's the stereotype, it's the kid who comes from the broken home or the or, or the single you know the single mom that's working three jobs that. They're all the kids are in public school and they don't really have like, there's no way to really pay for college. And this kid happens to take up, you know, whether it's tennis or basketball or football or wrestling or, you know, even if it's something more into the direction of the arts, but whatever, whatever it is, they're they just latch onto this one little thing and they end up being just off the charts, great at it. And that becomes the opportunity that allows them to be able to pay to go to college which is something that not a chance that that was in their path right. just there's no way that it was in their path before i mean that that's that's such an interesting situation to see i mean have you either yourself with any of your students that you've taught had a similar experience to that or anybody that you know through, sort of through your coaching you know, through your coaching, you know, brotherhood, would you say has had anybody that had an experience similar to
0: that? Well, I know that there has been, uh, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head, but the best example was the one that I just gave you about, um, the kid that, uh, you know, started basically as a beginner and and was able to get a, a college scholarship. And, um, so, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that in tennis and, and other sports too, where they didn't even really realize that they were good at it until they picked up a racket, picked up a basketball, picked up whatever it is, and they play it and they realize, wow, I'm I'm pretty good at this. And they, they, but they have to have that commitment level of getting better every day. And if they don't, then, you know, I'd rather have a guy who's got talent, you know, a, a certain level of talent that is willing to work extremely hard than somebody who has just off the chart talent and just kind of takes it for granted because those kind of guys generally they burn out flame out and they just don't really they're not they're not in it for the right reason and and they also rely upon their talent and it usually takes them quite a ways but if you don't have that commitment level of of keeping it going and working hard then you're just you're just done you know lots of examples of that
1: gotcha yeah, no, that's great. I mean, the the something that I find so interesting about tennis, like get get back get back to a second about for a second about um someone somebody that's call it in their thirties or forties that's mm-hmm. never picked up a racket before, like what would you say should be the first step or two that they should take? I mean, I know you mentioned about getting in touch with a pro, but for someone that's literally never touched a tennis racket before like w- would you say that that is probably the, uh, the first step for somebody that's starting from zero um that's never that's never gotten into the sport before or would you are there any other preliminary steps what, even even if it's you know as simple as well why do you want to get into tennis you yeah, figure out the goal setting or just you know figure out the shoes or figure out to make sure that you can afford the shoes and the racket. Like what, what do you, what do you think is a good starting point? I'd say for, for people that are looking to try and get in, looking to try and get into the sport or at the very least, let's say investigate the sport prior to actually getting into the sport. Cause like every, you know, every newscast, every newspaper, you know, has you know tennis highlight reels where you see you know the hot shots, you see the Williams sisters, you see Maria Sharapova, you see all the you know you see all the big names that are out there in the highlight reels. But it's like, hey, is that a sport that I could actually play? It looks terrifying on television when you see these just beasts playing it. That you know they're they're hitting hundred 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 and twenty hundred and fifty mile an hour serves, and that just is. It makes me your brain explode with the with the possibility of something like that coming at you. Like I I don't I like that's the thing that amazes me. Like when when you see pros and especially like the is like the men pros when they're hitting like 150, 160 mile an hour serves. It's like how how does the how does the eye brain you know the the connection between the eye and the brain and the hand work fast enough to allow that to to allow somebody to respond to something like that in such a thing it's it's terrifying but so for somebody that's i guess like they're interested in the sport but obviously a little scared off by the pro level like what what's what's a good thing where's a good place to start i guess
0: well the beauty of tennis is that it's broken down into levels and so you know we have a a rating system in tennis and you know a 1.0 is considered an absolute beginner all the way up to 7.0 which is uh, you know your world class professional tennis players and so if you're interested in kind of getting started and you and you really love it and you you've kind of started to take a few lessons you're playing it's, it the bug is really hit you and, and you really want to advance and you you find yourself getting better and better there are level of tournaments that that are 3.0 3.5 uh, 4.0 uh, just all these uh, different levels of tournaments that you can get into. There's novice tournaments, especially for for young players, that you can get into and and um, you know just get the experience. It's that's that's one thing. Tournament play is a lot different than going down to the park and playing with your friend. It just it has a whole lo- different level of of pressure and and I think it's actually quite good for for kids and even adults to experience some of that pressure to see how they handle it and see, you know, do they quit? Do they just say, Oh, I can't do it. I'm just giving up. Or do they kind of persevere and say, you know what? I may get beat, but I'm going to try to the very end. And so I think it's a great life lesson for, for one thing. And uh, so it's, and also it teaches you how to win and, and it also teaches you how to lose too, because, I think you can learn more from losing than you do from winning.
1: Oh, absolutely. So it's like if if you if if you if you won, you don't know exactly what it is that you did right. Exactly. If you lose, like if you lose, you can point to something specific. It's like, oh, I missed that. So it's like, oh, I missed that serve, or I cut the wrong way, or you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Like you know, in if you're and and that could be and that's applied to anything that could be com- conceived as. Being competitive, whether it be like, you know, whether it be jujitsu or tennis or golf or whatever it is, when you're competing against other people, you can point like I, I keep going back to jujitsu just because it's, so, you know, it's something that's so familiar It's like when you, heh, you know, the second that you lost Like you know exactly what that thing was that you did wrong. You stuck, you know, you stuck this arm out, you kicked this hip down, you took, you know, you did that one thing that you did where you immediately got caught. You're like, you're done. And like, and you know, it's over. There's nothing you can do to recover. It's so funny how, you know, when you're losing, you can point exactly to what it was and how it's the case. I'm assuming it's probably the same with tennis.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, it's uh, it may not be an exact moment because tennis takes a little bit of time, but once you get down to near the end, if especially if it's not a very close match, uh, you can kind of f- have that feeling of oh, uh, you know, it's it's probably not working out the best for me. But the beautiful thing about tennis is there's no st- you know there's no clock, there's no shot clock, there's nothing like that, so. You can be down a match point, which means you're just about ready to lose, and still come back and win. So it doesn't there's no time constraints because I've been down match points before and actually come back and win. and on the other side of it, I've been up match points and lost. So uh, that that's the beauty of tennis is you're not out of it until the 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 last ball hits the court twice, and that's it take a quick side
1: note on that point for again you're talking to a complete novice here can you please for the love of god explain the scoring model in tennis for me <laughs> like i when i see that when i see these numbers on the board outside of i see i one number that's higher than another and i just out of sheer, sheer like just sheer blind luck i and just sheer common sense i know what that means is like hey this high, this number is higher therefore this person must have won but that's not the case in every sport golf is different you know so i in many many in many many ways that that evil sport is different than others but <laughs> anyway um like can you explain can you for for me and for people that are listening that might be novices in in the in the sport can you explain how you score tennis like what are those numbers what do they mean like sometimes there's two sets of numbers sometimes there's five sets of numbers sometimes the the numbers are at like 6-2 and sometimes for example sometimes they're 6-2 sometimes it's 6-5 does that just mean it went back and forth and back and forth until it got to 6 and then in the other case what, where it was say six no, six, nothing or six one or six two, Does that mean the other person just flatly dominated that set? Like what, what exactly is it? How does, the, how does the scoring actually work?
0: Okay? Well, uh, let's start at the beginning. So uh, each game is broken down into, obviously points. And to win a game, you have to win four points in that particular game, but you have to win it by two. So it's similar to volleyball. You know, you, when you're in volleyball, you have to win uh, the, whatever game you're playing by two points, or you keep going until you get to uh, a winner that gets two points ahead. Same, same way in tennis. So when you get to—well, um, let's just talk about what the exact scoring is. So when it's 0-0, zero, zero, that's called love. So in tennis, mm-hmm. love is zero. And the first point is 15. So you could have 15 love— warrior. Uh, and then at the second point, let's say you won that one also, it goes to 30. Now why it goes, it you know, it's not one, two, three, four, you know, there, there's a, I know that the, I've read articles on why this, uh, how this all started off, but I can't recall exactly why, but that's kind of the way it is. So <laughs> we, we have to kind of live with it. So it goes zero, which is love, 15, 30, and then 40. So Forty is your is your uh, third point of win to win. So if you win the next point, that's the game. Now, okay. If you get to forty all, that's called deuce. So it just means that you're you're tied up at three points all. All right. So one of you has to get two points ahead to win that game. So to do that, then you play in the next point and then whoever gets that particular point, it's called their advantage. So they have the advantage, and they only need one more point. Well, if they lose that point, it goes back to Deuce. So it can go back and forth you know 10, 15, 100 times. it doesn't there's no limit on it until you get to somebody who wins uh, by two points. Okay, so the sets are arranged where it's very similar where you have to win uh, six games in a set. But again, you have to win by two. Now, if you get to, if you get to, let's say five all, or let's say six, five. So somebody's gotten to six games, but they didn't win by two. Because
1: it's still at five. The other one's at at five.
0: They're only one game away. So you go, okay, well, you play one more game. And if the person who was ahead six, five wins that game, he, he actually wins the set seven, five, and there's no reason to keep going. Okay. Got it. Now, if you get to 6-5 and the person who had 5 wins the, the game, then it's 6-all and you play what's called a tiebreak. And there's all kinds of different versions of tiebreakers out there. Uh, there's 5-point, 9-point, 12-point, but that's a whole nother that's another show. <laughs> um, so basically it's the same kind of thing. You have to win on the most common uh, type of tiebreaker is the first one to 7 wins uh, the tiebreak. But again, you have to win by two. So you could get to seven all, eight all, nine, eight, ten all. You know, you could go on and on and on until somebody wins by two in that tiebreak. And then whoever wins that tiebreak wins the set seven, six. Okay. So that's basically it. And then most of the time you play a two out of three set match. And so that's pretty self explanatory. You have to win two sets out of the three sets that you play. And and except in grand slams on men's, like the French Open, the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, and the Australian, they play three out of five set matches for the men. The women continue to play two out of three, but the men play three out of five. But it's Got all it. the same. Okay. Hopefully so, that simplified well, it a little bit.
1: I was going to say simple enough. I was like, it was like, it was, I'm closer to understanding it now than i did before which is great. like i didn't know about that two point spread for example like that was actually that actually helps me understand it a little bit more Well, the best way um, to,
0: to learn how to score is if nothing else just watch tennis on tv and they go you know they play a point and then they always have the score flash up and so you see okay this guy won the point oh now it's 30 15 okay well the next one will either be 30 all or 40 15. And so you kind of, you just have to kind of get involved with it. And after a while, it just all becomes very easy and you know exactly what, what uh, is going on. Got it.
1: Got it. All right. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a solid place to wrap up. The, um, one of the, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, um, and this is a, this is a question that I ask all of the guests on the show is, um, if you because again back to the concept of the show the concept is trying to find something that make that is a seemingly small thing seemingly small change whatever it might be um that ends up end up which ends up having to ha- having a fairly significant impact over time and so your answer to this question can be subject matter specific uh it can be about tennis, but it could be about something else. Um, really anything else. Um for, for me, selfishly, it could have something to do with international travel. But whatever it is. Um What purchase have you made um in recent memory um that has cost a hundred dollars or less that you would say has had the most dramatic impact in on your life? It could be, you know, it could be an organizing system or something for You know, the kitchen that makes that my God, you can finally you can finally find everything or that one area that was an absolute mess every day that you had to deal with is now fixed. It could be something that helps with or, you know, setting up, you know, your podcast for release. Um, and I do want to talk, talk a minute about your podcast, too. Uh, but, you know, wh- what it, whatever it might be, like 100, bu- 100 bucks or less, and that could be a subscription model, 100 bucks a year or whatever it might be. But uh, what what is that thing that you've spent a little bit of money on that you think has made a pretty significant impact on you or your wife or, or in your lives?
0: Well, for me, uh, and I didn't even actually spend the money, it was when my mother bought that tennis racket. Uh, for a dollar at a garage sale, L- little would I have known that a sport that I wasn't even really, you know, even familiar with at all, hardly, you know, when, before I started when I was 11 and I'm now 57 and I've played tennis all through that time. And, you know, I've, I've coached, I've had a tennis business and, uh, I've, uh, you know, given lessons, uh, just in, in played tennis on on all different levels. Uh, never could I have ever thought that that one dollars one dollar that was spent. Could ever have an impact on my life, but I, I live, breathe, and eat tennis. And uh, you can ask my wife; uh, she's, you know, she has to put up with me watching tennis all the time. I, I have the tennis channel on all the time. I talk tennis. Uh, I just I love tennis. So that little thing that was purchased for me has been an amazing thing that has been uh, fantastic for my whole life because it's given me, you know, a job. At times, it's given me great friendship with people that I've built friendships over over the years with. It's given me opportunities that uh, I never would have ever had before. And so I can say that one dollar has paid off quite well.
1: That's great. That's actually one of the best answers to that question that I've heard so far. Um, so tell me pe- um, just briefly tell people about your show. Tell tell them you know what what's it called? Where ca- where can they find it? Like what why should they why should they listen to it, or at what stage they should start listening to it? Whatever, just go into that. And then also, um if separate from that, um, give me a little bit of information about where um, the audience can find you in the world and he's like on the interwebs whether it be through social or through your website or just the, your show's website or whatever it is um just give, give us a little bit of information about okay.
0: that Okay, yeah well my podcast is called the tennis shorts podcast um and you can get it at uh, go to apple you can you know on itunes you can also google play uh just just search for it there. i have also on on Stitcher Radio also. But um, basically, what I have is I have a podcast that's for the, it can really be for the beginning player, for the intermediate or the advanced player. And I just answer questions that maybe you don't really think about as a tennis player, but it's, uh, or maybe you do think about them, but it's, uh, it's more of a kind of a behind the scenes, uh, oh, I didn't really even think about that kind of question uh you know some some things like you know things that i've already con uh, talked about on on previous episodes or like one was uh, i can i gain a competitive edge during warm-up and you wouldn't really think that that would be something that you'd even really think about you think because during warm-up you're just kind of warming up you're hitting the balls back and forth getting ready to to play in your match but if you dive a little bit deeper you can actually gain a competitive edge. You know how do I practice with a ball machine? Uh, you know how do I stay hydrated on the tennis court, and what can you learn from watching tennis on TV? You know those sort of things are what I've learned over my forty-six years of of watching and playing and being involved in tennis, and it was just something that I really wanted to give back because I thought that was kind of a really good way for me to to give back and uh, be able to to help people who like yourself, maybe are interested in playing tennis. But these are questions that you wouldn't even really probably think of or maybe you did think of, and um, you just don't know where to get the answer to it. So it's it's a question and answer kind of thing, and I only take about 5 to 15 minutes to answer these questions, and I try and give as much information as I can during that time. And we wrap it up, and it's just a quick hit. So twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And uh, I send it out at about 5 a.m. every Monday and Thursday, and, and uh, I'm having a great time doing it.
1: That's great. All right, Dan. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, is, there any, is there anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up?
0: Well, you, you'd ask how they could contact me, and uh, you can always email me at dan at tennisshortspodcast.com. I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter. And Instagram. Also, I have a YouTube channel. Just uh, look up for Tennis Shorts Podcast, and um, you can you can find me in all of those social media spots. And and uh, I'll be happy to hear any kind of responses that you have on my website tennisshortspodcast.com. I've got a button on there that you can click and record a question. Uh, just any question that you have about tennis, and um, I'll put it on the show and and use your name and also use your audio and just put it right there on the show and we'll answer the questions.
1: Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll put a link to all that in the show notes uh, so people can log on there and uh, just click directly over to it so that they can submit those, submit those questions or find you on the social media avenues that you mentioned. Okay. That sounds great. Dan, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Absolutely.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to thank everybody again for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast with Dan Gaskell. Um, I had a lot of fun with this interview. I clearly sounded like a little bit of a tennis idiot during the show. I really don't know much about the sport prior to our conversation outside of the very basics that you sort of glean through just knowing that your high school also has a tennis team or, you know, just seeing the random highlights on ESPN or whatever it might be. I really don't know much more about the sport beyond that. Um, But as it kind of came out in the conversation, I find it interesting enough because with my wife being involved, interested in the sport as well, like it's something that I'm maybe want to experiment with myself. So this was maybe a little bit of a therapy session for myself. So I hope I appreciate you bearing with me on that. And uh, hopefully you got something out of this, too. Uh, Just as a quick heads up, if you wouldn't mind uh, logging on to the website, smallmoves.co and leaving some feedback on the show notes page. Um, and that way I can know sort of how your thoughts were what your thoughts were on this episode, as well as some of the other ones that you've been listening to lately as well. And then lastly, um, our community Facebook page is, uh, forward slash community. That'll take you straight to the community Facebook page. Uh, just pop by there, hit, you know, hit like or follow if you want, and just kind of keep track of all the crazy stuff that we're doing over there. Um, working, I'm working on building that community so I can start getting a little bit more feedback from everyone about, the type of content that you'd want to hear in the future as we're starting to get into the holiday season. I will end the new year after that. I want to start getting a little bit more feedback about what you guys would like to see from me so that I can start working on that. I appreciate your time listening to this episode and I really appreciate you supporting the Small Moves Podcast. Thanks again for listening to this and I will talk to you next time around. You've got this.